Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey everyone, on this week's episode, I'm joined by Jamie McLennan. Noodles and I talked for about an hour and 45 minutes, so I'm going to split this up into two episodes. As you can imagine, he's an unbelievable storyteller. He's seen an awful lot of things. And it was so cool this past season when I was with the Ottawa Senators to finally get to know someone that I watched growing up while being a fan for the St. Louis Blues. Jamie's got all the stories. This is great stuff. Enjoy. want to know where things started for you (laughs) the one thing i know about your youth hockey though that i think we have in common is that we both played in the kamloops international bantam ice hockey tournament yeah yeah i i want to say i played there like three years in a row i i played three years of major bantam that's a lot of bantam it is a lot of bantam (laughs) and i was like i think back then like i'm I'm 48, so what are you, 30? 36. 36, so, okay, so even the 12 years I have on you, I think rules may have changed, because... Yeah, you kind of went for one year, if you were Yeah, you age. could go, like, but I was, I think I was peewee aged and was with, got, like, played Bantam. Like, I, I right. played so ahead played, of myself. You played up, yeah. yeah. And going to the Kibbit tournament, you'd bill it out, and, you know, everything was really cool about it. Um, but it was nerve wracking for me. I, I grew up in St. Albert, Alberta and, you know, pretty good, pretty good, like minor hockey system. St. Albert's, a, you know, they, they pumped out some decent players. So, um, going there, all I remember that vividly stands out for that tournament. And this is speaks to, I, I can fast forward like to maybe even my last year of playing. Well, you had three, you got plenty to choose from. Like three, <laughs> but, but it's more. The mental preparation, like I, I was always a guy who would overthink things before the game. I, I think that was part of my weakness. It may have been a strength, but it was also severely a weakness because I'd lived the game in my head 20 times before I played. And I'll never forget the night before a game in the Kibbit tournament, we were playing Notre Dame, which was Notre Dame Hounds. We played them there too. Yeah. St. So, Louis Bantam. We played. Yeah. yeah. And Notre Dame was, they were the, you know, we won the tournament. They were the only team to beat us. But they the beat Robin. everybody because yeah. they they were they were basically a team that they were like the Yankees. They just yeah. got all the players. So I'll never forget this. The night before we're playing Notre Dame, I was roaming the hallways of the hotel because uh, my my parents had come down or my dad had come down, and we were staying in a hotel. We, we billeted out for like a couple of days, and then we stayed in the hotel, and. It was like four o'clock in the morning and I couldn't sleep because I was nervous to play Notre Dame the next day. And I came across the parents' room where everyone was greased. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> did, they like, have, did they have everything in the bathtub with a bunch of ice? Yeah, it was just like, it, it was like a room like this. So all the just parents all did. All ice. Yeah. And, but all the doors are propped open and, and, and yeah. the parents are greased. And kind of like a whoa moment yeah right? like and i walked by and my dad was like hey you can't sleep and and i was like no neither, neither know, could i, I yeah like you know, Coke's, yeah you know going all over and the back place. then it was hard liquor like yeah. it was brown liquor so yeah i went back to bed played at like whatever 9 a.m the next morning we tied four all and i thought i had a pretty good game and all i remember was my dad like the next day like you could tell he was hung 
but he like battled through. He's like, Sonia played well, and he was a very low key man. But like, it's weird how you mentioned something like a tournament like that. That's the memory I have. Like, I, I don't remember anything else other than, you know, playing a couple games here or there, but it's like, uh, I, I stumbled across the parents actually enjoying themselves. Like, the, it. That's why they went. Like, you know, they don't, those 6 a.m. practices and stuff that, that we all did as kids, the parents, it was going on those weekend tournaments. It was social hour for I think, them. I think I'm secretly really excited about that if my daughters want to play. My yeah. oldest daughter's six and she's she thinks she wants to be a goalie, which is kind of terrifying. And we've tried yeah. to encourage her not to do it. <laughs> but talked her through it. At this point, though, she seems dead set on it. So that may be life. But those road trips were not just fun for the kids, but for the parents. It too. is. And I, I think that's something where... You know, I, again, I've got a six-year-old daughter and a two-year-old boy. I mean, if they play sports, great. My wife and I have kind of a rule. We want them to play a sport and a musical instrument every year. Try whatever you want. Like, and my daughter sings and plays the piano. Little man doesn't do anything right now. He's just two and stumbles around and yells and screams. But I think we want to try that type of stuff. But I, I think it's it's important socially for the the, like to me, that's what I would be excited about is is mingling with the parents. And a lot of times, if you're friends with those parents, like I feel now, it'd be harder because I'm an older parent. Like everyone who has kids my age are more your age, like 36, 35. So uh, I may not have as much in common, but I, I I would be I'd be pumped to do that stuff. Did you pick up music at a young age? I, I know you, you play drums, play guitar. Yeah. Kiss is a big part of your life. Or? Yeah, it was for the longest time. I was a Kiss Army member. We, all, Me and my buddies back home, we were all loving Kiss. Did you ever get to meet him? I did several times. And I, I tell the one story about Gene Simmons that was so disappointing. Uh, it, I was playing for the Panthers at the time. And it's a random story. Um I'm trying to remember his name. He was a race car driver who ended up, he passed away recently on the on the track. Um, is it Greg Moore? No. Uh, Dan Weldon. Dan Weldon. His passing was just today when we were recording this. Really? However many years ago, whether it's, I think it's been five or six years. Yeah. Or even more than that. But yeah, that was just the anniversary. The anniversary. Wow. It happened not far from where we are in Las Vegas at the Motor Speedway. Oh, it was here. here. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Like, yeah. Randomly, he had won the Indy 500, right? And then the, I was playing for the Panthers. So he had a reality show following him around. So he was racing in the Indy 300 in in Miami. Homestead, Miami. Yeah. Okay. So I get a, a phone call from our PR guy and he says, you know, Dan Weldon is coming out and, and wants to take some shots on you. I think he probably wanted he's, to do Louis. He's British too. Yeah, I mean, like it was yeah. just so random. But I'm sure he wanted to do Luongo, but Louis was like, "I'm playing tomorrow. I'm not doing it. Just let Noodles do it." Yeah. So <laughs> we're gonna pawn the shit yeah. off here. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I get out on the ice and he can't skate, and they, they you know they're shooting, and you know I'm mic'd. It's kind of a cool thing. Yeah. And he's a tiny guy, but very nice, very, um, you know, very affable, very likable. And he sees that I have Kiss on my mask. And he's like, oh, are you a Kiss fan? And I said, yeah, you know, I've seen them several times. And I've, I've met Gene a few times. We're just in passing, like friends of friends and stuff. And he said, well, Gene is the ambassador. I think he was, I think he was called the ambassador of Indy. 
he, he goes, was at that time. Yeah. He wrote the song I Am Indie, which every IndyCar fan oh, laughs at was? now. Like oh, it was okay. it was this terrible experiment that, uh, okay, that nobody so. bought into, but they hired the big name guy to come in and try to pump up the the racing league. Well, this that is, was Gene. I can't believe where this has gone. Yeah. I know, it's crazy. So so he goes, Why don't you come down to speed trials? I think it yeah, was yeah, like time day, trials. Yeah. Time trials. And he goes, Gene will be there. I'll introduce you. I'll have, you know, your I'll have my people introduce you to his people and you and him can have a meet and greet, uh, you know, bring the mask. And so through email and a phone call, they were like, come down tomorrow. Uh, Gene would like, you know, would like to meet you. And he's aware of the mask. You want him on your mask and stuff. You don't need to bring the mask. So I'm like, okay. I was dating a girl at the time and she was down visiting from New York. So I'm like, hey, we're going to go meet Gene Simmons. It's you know kind of cool. So we go into the, I don't know what it's called, the oval, the middle part of the track. The infield. The infield. The, the infield, the paddock, whatever yeah, you want to so call it. Yeah, so we go in the infield. Uh, Dan's people take us. We go into his trailer. He, he gives me like the behind the scenes, like this is the track. This is how we study it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out. And I, I was, he was asking me, he's like, what's it like to be, you know, hit with 100 mile an hour pucks? I'm like, what's it like to drive 200 miles yeah. an hour around a track? So we're just sitting in the, in the trailer BSing. And uh, Danica Patrick was there at the time. Well, so. it was his teammate at the time, too. Yeah. So I, Andretti Autosport. Or, I, I yeah. wanted to, I said, you know, I'd love to meet her. Um, she came by, said hello, quick hello. And then he was doing his time trials. And, and uh, so we watched him do like two laps, came off, and then his people said, oh, Gene's, Gene's ready to meet you. So we go to this VIP tent, and it's this giant, like, you know, those big white tents. We go in, and there's a buffet, and it's just Gene and his handler, and it's my PR guy, my girlfriend, who I've been dating literally like two Two months, you know, like, and me. And, and you already put her off by wanting to meet Danica well, Patrick. Yeah, 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 it's fine. <laughs> but like, so we walk in and Gene's like, I, he's like 6'4". Like, he's a big guy. But he's he's got his back towards us and he's at this giant buffet. And his handler comes over and they introduce, hey, I'm Jamie McLennan. I play for the Florida Panthers. I'm Kiss fan and that. Oh, you know, Gene's well aware uh, you know, I don't know if you know this, but your mask was in Tongue magazine, uh, his magazine. And I said, no, no. And he goes, well, you know, Gene liked to say hello. So he turns around and he had been eating at the buffet and he like he had a sandwich in his hand and it was like egg salad. And it was like dripping out on his hands. He had egg salad on his face. He looked like Ronald McDonald. I'm like, <laughs> he turns around. I'm like, you know, you never. You, sometimes you just never want to meet the people that you like idols and stuff. You just so he turns around and I'm like, this isn't going to be good. Like he's walking over, and he's not even looking at me. He's looking at my my girlfriend. Right. And he he the guy goes, uh, Jamie. Her name is Jen. Jamie Jen. Uh, this is Jean. He, he just dusts me. He takes her by the hand, spins her around, checking out her ass, like just, just looking at her, and then says hello, takes her glasses off, puts them on, and for some reason he gets like potato salad all over her glasses. 
puts them back onto her, and then turns to me and goes, wipes his mouth, and then gives me a potato salad handshake. And I'm like, nice to meet you. And honest to God, like it was potato salad all over my hand. And then he just walked away. Have you ever been more disappointed in your life? I got a new mask the next day. I was like, that was the the end of Kiss I swear to God that I was done with Kiss at that point because I was so disappointed. Like, I didn't care. Like, okay, yeah, he's checking out your girlfriend. Fine. You know, it's not a big deal. That's kind of his thing. And I I don't think I'm painting it a lot worse than it was, but... He gave her the spin, the glasses, the potato salad on her glasses. She had one lens covered. She looked like a pirate. And she looked at me. She she wasn't even interested in meeting him. And she's like, what the hell's going on? And then he just walked away. Like, there was no back and forth banter. Like, hey, it's nice to meet you. It was like, hey, I'm Gene. This is what I'm going to do. And then I'm just going to float away. And and they were saying, Gene's excited to meet you. Yeah, like, it was it was such a bullshit thing. And I was kind of like... All right, I get it. Like, he's larger than life. I'm sure he's met. You think about, I wanted to give him a pass. You think about the amount of fandom that a guy like that's had. It's Gene Simmons from Kiss. They've been big since the 70s. So everywhere he goes, people want pictures and handshakes and all that. I get it. But this one, I felt like there was another layer. Like, I wasn't a fan standing behind a fence. I was like, like I had, this was a meet and greet of, of, you know, arranged by Dan and his people. Well, and to be honest, somebody like yourself who's accomplished something in life. Well, yeah, you I know, was like, an NHL player I mean, we're trying, time. it's not like we always want to take advantage of things, but you're an NHL player. You've right. had him on your mask. Like, this is a really special thing. And he just basically blew you off. <laughs> it was such a dusting moment. It's like, noodles, take a hike. Oh, I was laughing. Like, I, to this day, I still laugh about it. And I, I've met him since a few times. And I, a good friend of mine got married in L.A. and Gene came to the wedding and he introduced Gene to me again. And he goes, why did you get a picture? I'll show you the picture. Gene took just before the picture. He reached over and grabbed my face and started squishing my cheeks. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is this guy doing? It's like he hates my guts. Or he just could we couldn't have any type of normal picture or normal interaction. I was like, okay, that's that's beyond strike two. I was so rattled, but I didn't talk to him the rest of the night at the wedding and, and like I just ignored him. And he was like at my table and everything. I was like, I'm done with this guy. Amazing. So that's my uh, that's my Gene Simmons kiss story. And and as much as I loved Kiss and I still listen to him if I work out or when I'm working out and stuff like that, it just that one kind of clanks around in my head a little bit. It's funny. You touched on them being on your mask. Yeah. And it's a good way to ask about it too, but who did, who painted your mask through your career? Did you have a Ray a Bishop. Of, did you really yeah, read the same Bishop. guy? Yeah. He's done, he did my um, last few. I had Ray and I had, um, I'm trying to remember, but my first one, my first ever mask was a guy named Kirk Jennison out of Gibbons, Alberta. He made him in his bait, like flat out, made him in his basement. And he had a good mold. It, the the chin was a little bit weird. It was it would it would cover your chin and then it flared up. So I I think by the end, if you look back, I don't know if they would be the most um, 
I'm sure it's evolved, put it that way. This, we're talking 30 years ago. But Kirk did it, and then I, I went to iTech, and then uh, Ray Ray was painting mine. And there was also Frank Cipra was yep. another one. So those were the two. And they did, like, amazing. Like, those guys are, you, as you know, they're, oh, they're so pros, talented. Man. Cipra did uh, Tug Nuts and DiPietro yeah. and other guys. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the one I that broke my heart was there was a guy named Greg Harrison, Harrison Masks. Well, he's what? a legend. Yes. Absolute legend. But My... he wouldn't talk to you unless you were Billy Ranford or... So, Billy's a close friend of mine. I would I would work at his goalie school in Red Deer, Alberta in the summers. I end up turning pro and I, I don't... Somehow I get linked with Greg Harrison and I'm like, I'd like to get a mask. He said, yeah, I'll get you one in 18 months. I'm like, I have no idea where I'm going to be in 18 months. And like, that's basically how big of a pigeon I was to him. <laughs> and then once I made the NHL, he was calling me being you. like, I love to make a mask for you. I'm like, I'm, I'm, it's too late. I'm with the iTech guys and I'm with, and I was very happy with my, my mold and everything. Like I had the same, same one pretty much my whole career. And then I would just design one or two a year. I was like that with Warwick. I actually had a mask painter break up with me over email. Very prominent, famous guy. Really? Yeah, a few years was ago. He, he, was he sat? Like, what? Like he just didn't want your... like. He basically told me that if you're not in the NHL or in the Swedish Elite League, I'm not painting your masks. Really? And then about a year later, he came back asking to paint again. I was yeah. like, sorry, dude. Like, no, you broke yeah. up with me, man. Yeah, like, exactly. And that, then I had Ray Bishop, and he was amazing Ray's for me. Ray's really good. And, 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 you know, I like them. It's funny, my first ever... Like outside of the Jenison mask, I think it was Bishop. It was iTech. They ended up, I think, mixing together or joining forces or whatever. So at the draft, I was in Buffalo and they just show up to my hotel room and they do the face, you know, the whatever, the, the face cast over your face. So iTech was still doing molds back then. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's. So I got a, I got a, 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 a molded mask. But the scary part is, is like, I had no idea who these guys were. And they put like a, they're in my hotel room and I'm, my eyes are covered and everything. They could be robbing me blind. You got the nose snorkels I've got in, the no, right? I've got everything. Like, I can't see. I, and, and like, all I know, I can hear noises. Like, I'm like, these guys, I have no idea if they're making a mask or they're robbing me or I'm going to wake up naked or <laughs> yeah. what's going on. But I'll, I'll never forget. There was like a, a, a two minute moment. Where I was like terrified for my life. I'm like, I'm not getting out of this hotel room uh, alive, you know, like Buffalo Bill situation. But it's when you, really funny. When you walked into pro hockey, you were in a log jam of goalies in the New York or New York Islanders yes. organization. Yeah. Did you see that coming at all? I mean, they were so deep, you ended up in the ECHL, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was the fifth goaltender on the depth chart um, with the Islanders my first year. And I knew it, and Billy Smith, like flat out, said, "You're you're fifth, but he goes, you're in a great position because at, they were carrying three at the NHL level because Mark Fitzpatrick had that rare blood. Dis it was I can't remember, I don't know the letters of it, but he had a rare blood disorder that every time he would get sick because his muscles would flare up, they'd have to let it settle down, and then they'd send him to the minors to kind of rehab it and." Every time they sent him to the minors, it bumped me to the coast. So I wasn't in, like, I played, I think, 32 games in Richmond that year, Richmond Renegades. It wasn't like I was there in the coast, like, months on end. I would go down. You weren't buried. 
I lived in a hotel. It was for a a reason that you were And that's what Billy Smith told me. He said, our plan for you is to play 50 or 60 games this year at the pro level, whether that's in Capital District in the AHL or in the East Coast League. And I think I ended up playing 50 that year. I got 32 in the minors and like 18 in the A. But it was, I lived in a hotel with my girlfriend and a cat the whole year. Like, that's how, you know... Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know how your relationship went. I mean, I ended up getting married at a very late age. Uh, you know, I've only been married five years, six years. But um, my junior girlfriend came with me. You know, it's like okay, this is the the big city, and we're we're living in Capital District, Latham, New York, and you know, living, beautiful town. Well, you know how gritty that that yeah. that area is. But uh, it was really unique turning pro. But they, being the fifth goalie in that system. There were times where I thought, like, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to make it. What am I doing right now yeah. sometimes, too? Yeah. And the I, ECHL was a circus back. I mean, that was kind of in the infancy of that league, really. That league, I was playing for the Richmond Renegades. And your head coach was Dave Allison. Davey Allison. Dave Allison, a, an alumni of Six Degrees of Mike McKenna. Well, so I played for him in Peoria. He's great. I love Dave. He's a like, legend. He is. And I love... I have a lot of time for him on so many levels because I got to Richmond and he knew I was miserable. But he said to me, he goes, Jamie, you're in the right spot. I'm going to take care of you. He goes, just go play. Everything else is going to work out. He was a fantastic head coach for me because I was an immature kid and I just wanted to play hockey and get better. So Davey, I get to Richmond. I'll never forget. I think it was my first or second East Coast League game. We're in Roanoke, Roanoke, Roanoke Express or yeah. whatever they were. They had this monster on their team named Frank the Animal by Lois. Do you know him? <laughs> I don't, but that's such an old school nickname. There's nobody nicknamed you don't the know Animal Frank anymore. The Anim- no. Frank the Animal. I'm going to be Googling this immediately. He played. He's a legend. They've actually, I believe the Philadelphia Phantoms, if they didn't retire his number, they've had Frankie the Animal by Lois like nights. <laughs> Like bobbleheads or like that type of, you know, cutouts. So this guy was an absolute mutant. And we ended up, I ended up playing with him. So I'm not lying. Here's my like second game. I'm like 19, 20 years old. I'm lined up. The anthem's going on. And we're all at the blue line, opposite blue line. This guy has, he's from Winnipeg. He's giant. He's probably like 240 pounds, like 6'2", 240 Long hair, looked like kind of Fabio, and he's got his helmet off and he's banging his head against the helmet. Like he's smashing his head, own head with his helmet. And I'm staring across at him. I'm going, where am I? Like, you know, you there's how many times in our, in our career have we been like, where are you? Like, what's going on? Where are we? Oh, yeah. Like those, like especially the minor league moments that oh. you're thinking, what am I doing in, in this yeah. place in a three and three? And there's... Yeah. And especially the nights where there's like 200 people in the stands, yes, you know, and it's just like, and you, what's going on? Yeah, you, you get that that semblance of like, what? How did I end up here? Like, you know, like I, for me, it was like four months ago. I was in the Western Hockey League. I was a starting goalie. I won goalie of the year. I was, yeah, I, I, I was on top of the world. I was a stud. Talk of the town. I'm, you know, I'm in yeah. Roanoke, Virginia. You know, maybe. Minutes away from dying on the ice if this lunatic decides to attack me. And, you know, thinking to myself, I, I have throughout my career those moments where you're like, 
okay, like, where am I again? Like, or what, how did I arrive here? That was one, the East Coast League. And, and uh, for all of back then, it's become such a great developmental league now, especially for goalies. Well, how many goalies have played there now? I mean, like Devin Dubnik, for, for example, was a first-round pick who went yeah. to play a full year in Stockton. Yeah. And, I mean, it's partly because Edmonton didn't have a prime affiliate in the A at that time. But right. still, there are a lot of goalies that will go play 30, 40 games their first year or two. It's part of their career trajectory. Washington had a rule. Ole Kolzik and Byron Defoe, I think, both went down there yeah. and played. Like, yeah, the, Olaf the, talked about that on his, too. Yeah, yeah the, the goalies that came or went through the coast, I think at that point, like when you look at it, a lot of tough guys came from there, but it was a goaltending developmental league at that point. Because think about it, you only have two at the NHL, two in the minors. So if you've got five goalies, where's he going? Yeah. And, and usually the backup in the minors doesn't play that much. So they'll bypass. If you have somebody that you think is a prospect, you'll put him in the coast and let him play 60 instead of you know playing 15 or 20 in the A. That's kind of how I got my opportunity with Tampa Bay like 10, whatever many years ago when I first got to the NHL is because they had Kari Ramo with me in the yeah. American League. Yeah. I was on an American League deal. Yeah. Like 60 grand or something, right? Yeah, like, yeah. We want him to pair with Kari. Kari's going to play. Well, yeah. I was out playing Kari, and that's why I got called up. But they yeah. had Riku Elanius in the coast. Oh, I remember Who was him, a yeah. big-time prospect, yes, but it was, was the same thing. Cap Carey was a goalie coach back then, and Cap was really big on this guy needs to play. Yeah. So we're going to put him in play. the coast. And Absolutely. that's the reason why. That's how I got my break. But but that's it, – it's so – I think there's such a fine line in goaltending. It's opportunity. It's timing. Like, I don't know how many times where I thought, okay, you get flushed. Looking back, like – I could have been flushed out of the league right then and not made it back or this because timing. Like even St. Louis, I remember they signed a guy named Rich Perrant. I remember him. And Richie, I think they gave him like 400 grand signing bonus. I basically was on my way out there. I wasn't going to make the team. And then Richie hurt his groin at camp and then he is not exploded. I he did lose. that story? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's one of a couple people that have lost a nut. Yeah. Oh, that... I was starting that's, that game. That's what caused me to wear two cups. See, From I, that moment forward, I wore a player cup under my goalie cup because of Rich Perron. It, it's funny. I, like, not witnessed it, but I was there that night. I started that night, so I'm just worried about the game. Apparently, he came in, took one from Al McInnes or whatever, broke the cup, ruptured his text, testicle, sat there for the whole period, backing me up, and then finally was doubled over in pain, and they were like, you know, he had a grapefruit for a nut, and I think he had emergency he surgery did, that yeah. night and that. I never, I've never really heard from his standpoint the whole story. I just got like the Cole's notes version, like after the game. They're like, yeah, we had to send him to the hospital and get him out of here, man. It was terrible, but it's, it's funny. Like at that point, Rich had some health stuff going on, not, not the testicle, but his groin and that. It opened the door for me. Right. And Larry Plo flat out told me, he's like, I didn't think you were going to make my team. You forced your way on my team. It's a good feeling and to have, man. It is. And, and that's why, yeah, unless you're super elite, like if you're Vasilevsky, if you're Price, you're, you know, Rene, all of these guys who, Luongo, eh, there's a lot of interchangeable parts in the league. At some point, yeah. you got to earn it. Yeah, that's really do. what it comes down to. If you're yeah. not that, that opportunity, blue chipper, right? It yeah. is opportunity. You touched on Billy Smith. Yeah, he must have left an impression oh, on you. Oh God, I got the greatest story about Smitty. So Smitty, it, the the game is so different now. 
Battling Billy. Battling Billy. And we all know he used a stick. And he, But his whole thing, I'll never forget, was all about mental toughness. He would say, Jamie, goaltending is 90% between the ears. He goes, the 10%, he goes like, you know, you got to think the game, you got to understand it. But he said, it's positioning in between the ears. So he would tell me in practice, don't move. <laughs> Cast your angle and stand there. Seven out of 10 will hit you in practice. And I would be like, well, I kind of got to, you know, I'm, I I was this kid out of junior. I'm, I'm, I want to make every save. And I, I will say this, early on, I was trying to make a lot of saves and overplaying them. And guys will roll their wrists at the last second and I would get hit in the nuts. And I'd drop and he'd come over and say, see, I told you, you opened up and you got hit in the nuts. You deserve that. So I was <laughs> like, just, oh my he, God, like, you know, I'm laying there. He's just, blaming the victim. He's blaming me because <laughs> I'm too, I'm trying to make saves in the net instead of getting hit. So, and he, he, you know, the guys would be riding the bike and working out and he'd be like, let's go play tennis. And you know, we'd go play tennis and everything, when I look back, everything had a reason why he did it because it was about how you could control your mind during the game at duress, you know, at, at the, the most critical times. He would say, you need to be able to think and relax. And so... I, and I really wanted you to protect your crease, right? Well, yeah. Well, that one, I mean... He, he, he one time said, he goes, I've got these little moves. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, there are soft spots on guys' equipment that you could, like little creases, you can get to them. And I said, well, I, I don't understand. He goes, when you have somebody whose legs are facing you, they're facing the other way because they're trying to screen you in front of the net. He goes, right at the side of the knee is a nerve. He goes, you can hit that. <laughs> what? He's giving you anatomy lessons. Honestly, I'm looking to cripple a guy. So we had, a, I'll never forget, we had a neutral site game against the Florida, I want to say Florida Panthers. I don't, Scott, and I, I gave a little chop right there and I dropped Scott Mellonby. That's hard to do. I dropped him and he got up and suckered me and, and like attacked me and the ref, this is a neutral site game. The ref came over and flat out said, this is what he said verbatim. You're a fucking idiot. The ref came to me. Like, I want to say it was like Billy McCreary or something. He came over and said, you're a fucking idiot for slashing him there. And and so I got two minutes. I got a two-minute penalty even though Mellonby got up and suckered me and all that. Because he's like, you're an idiot for that play. I think this may have been the year just before the lockout. It may have been 94. We were shaking hands after the game. You wanted to show solidarity. And Mellon became in the in the the handshake line. And I said to him, I'm like, sorry about that. He goes, he goes, you didn't even hit me that hard, but he goes, you hit me in a spot where my leg just went numb. <laughs> and I was telling Smitty afterwards, he's like, I told you that's the nerve. He's like a proud father at that point. He was a proud father, but I, I got one other quick uh, Smitty one is I I they sent me right down to Richmond, uh, right out of training camp. Because Fitzy was healthy and all that. So I was the number five. So I went to Richmond and the team went to the Rock. Uh, St. John's, Newfin John's, Newfoundland. Yeah. So we were, they were playing a series of games out there and Glenn, somebody got hurt. So I got called up. So Glenn Healy hurt a finger. So I got called up to the island, backed up a game 
And as I was flying in from Richmond, I'll never forget this, my plane hit a flock of birds. And it, flights were canceled. It was a gong show. I made it to the game just in time for the start of the game. I missed warm-up, everything. Sat on the bench, backed up Steve Weeks. Uh, they were warning me. Ray Ferraro was warning me before the game. He's like, Weeks, he's been pulled two games in a row. You better be ready. I hadn't... I hadn't slept. I had come from the East Coast League and my plane hit a flock of birds. It was just a gong You've show. You've got an IV of coffee right I now. Was just, like, yeah, the, I was yeah. dying. <laughs> so we ended up, we made it, he made it through the game. The next day they sent me to the minors to, they called up, I think, Danny Lorenz or somebody uh, on the pecking order. And I go to meet the team and Billy Smith is going to see me for the first time. In St. John's. In St. John's. On the rock. What a place to make your debut in the oh, yeah. American League too. Yeah, like, so I'm... It's like a Tuesday, Thursday games, you know, we're out there and I go out for Tuesday's game. I'm starting. Butch Goring's our coach. Go out and first period, as I go out, there's the mascot, this this bird. I Now I know his name is Buddy the Puffin, but there's this <laughs> mascot on the ice and he's kind of in my crease, you know, and, and I'm like, what's going on here? So you go scrape the crease. I have a great first period. I'm thinking, I'm rolling. Like, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, maybe make 10, 12 saves. It's got a shutout going. Because that first period's so important. Like, the is. first couple saves, first period. It. And then you get through that and you're like, all right, this is I going all right. I, I can think do I this. can play. I think I can play. I get out for the second period. And you got to skate the full distance. And that bird is standing there in my crease, like giving me some sort of hex. And I'm like, this is weird. And I skate up and he won't move. So I kind of give him a push. He pushes me back. And the crowd's laughing and it's kind of like, I'm thinking, why is this bird like distracting me? I'm trying to lock it in and he's being a jackass. So I scrape my crease, have a great second period. No problem. Get off, head out for the third period. He's in my crease again and like doing a hex and just messing with me. I don't think anything of it. I just kind of scrape my crease. I get first star that night. I'll never forget. I made like 35 saves. We won three, one. I come off, Smitty's in my stall. And I'm like, this is this is amazing. I come in, you know, I'm up. I'm like the last guy to come in because I was announced first star. The boys, are, in, just, the boys are like, hey, hey. Yeah. And Smitty's staring at me and I lock eyes with him and he's like, I need to talk to you right now outside. And I'm like, all right, this is weird. Like, you don't want to give me the accolades in front of the boys or whatever. I don't, I don't know. And he, like we go out in the hallway, like this, I'm still in my gear. Like I'm, I'm glowing. I'm first star. And, and he's like, uh, I got a real problem here. And I'm like, what, what? Like, I just, he's like, don't you ever let that fucking bird get into your crease. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I'm not even like, I, I, and I'm like, what? Like, what? This is what you're concerned about? He's it's like, like yeah. that bird pushed you and you, you were having fun with him. He's like, don't you ever let that fucking bird in your crease. And I was like, all right, well, like, I, I, I had no words. I had no words. I was like, I just got first star. Like, he's like, doesn't matter. You got to send a message. And he's like, if he's there on Thursday, you fucking run him over. I'm like, uh, I, 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 I'm honest to God, I had nothing. I go in the room. I get undressed. I think I was almost crying. Like, I was like scarred. And I'm think I didn't sleep well that night, and we practiced the next day. And I'm I'm like, 
God, I don't want to play Thursday. Like, I'm scared. Like, did you tell any of your teammates what he told you? No. You internalized like, all just, of this. Like, I'm just like, you know, my, my, I don't know who my roommate was at the time. I just went back to my room because I think guys had dispersed and, you know, guys shower quick and gone. I just got undressed. I showered up and I was gone. Went back to the room and I was so rattled. I don't know if I slept well. Next day at practice, I'm thinking, Butch, like, I don't. Please start Dan, like start the other guy. Like I'm thinking, I hope he doesn't start me. And you know, like if if the a lot of times coaches do the laps and then they'll make their way over to you and be like, hey, you're going tomorrow. Like that's you know, tap on the pad, the, the tap on the pad. Yeah. You 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 know you're going tomorrow. And I was kind of watching Butch and I'm avoiding him. I'm like, fuck, like I don't want this guy to <laughs> come and give me the tap. I don't want to play. Like maybe this bird, like. Maybe, you know, I kept thinking these crazy things like maybe this bird doesn't work on Thursdays or, you know, like I have no idea. He's got a prior engagement yeah. somewhere in St. John's. So I yeah. get the tap and Butchie's like, you're going tomorrow. I, again, I don't think I slept like I was restless and nervous before the game. Not even thinking about stopping pucks. I'm like, what am I going to do with this bird? Like, what am I going to do with this bird? Sure enough, like first period, I go out. The bird was kind of, he didn't mess with me in the first period. But I go out there and I allow like four goals. I'm like four goals on like eight shots or something. I'm so brutal. I, I'm not even in the game. I'm thinking about this bird and like, <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'll get pulled. And Butchie, Butchie comes in after the first period. All right, boys, let's pick it up. I'm, I'm like, oh my God, he's leaving me in. And I guarantee you, Smitty told him, leave him in for the second period. I go out for the second and the bird is in my crease and he's, you know, 200 feet away. And I'm like, fuck it. I go and I skate as hard as I can and I bury this bird. Like I just, I drop my shoulder square in the chest. The bird goes flying in the corner. I, again, did his head stay on? The head stayed on. That's pretty but amazing. kind of turned. But I have no idea. Here's the thing. Is that a senior citizen there? Is that a 14-year-old girl? I have no idea. Who the mat, who's in that bird costume? The crowd is screaming at me. Boo, fuck you. Like screaming. We lose like 7-1. I was like worst player on the planet that night. I was so embarrassed. I come off and I go into my stall. And I, I, I go into the dressing room again. Smitty sitting in the stall. And he's got a giant smile on his face. I'm like, I, I'm like, sorry, man. He goes, he pulls me out. Kind of not outside, but just to the close to the door. And he's like, that's how you be a man in this league. That's why you be a man. <laughs> By running a mask. And I'm like, I just gave up a touchdown. Like seven. He's like, you deserve, he goes, you established respect tonight. And I was like, I, I, I didn't feel respected. I felt like I gave up seven. Was your first game in the NHL a little bit of a different experience, I hope? Yes. I mean, the first one was... Uh, Hexy was my partner, so I, I got called up and Ron Hextall, they had made the trade and um, Hexy had played like something ridiculous, like 25 games in a row and they had this guy named Tom Draper who was backing him up. Yeah, I remember Tom Draper from Buffalo. When yeah, I was a kid. Buffalo. Yeah. So Drapes, I don't think they were ever going to give him a start. It was just like, hey, you know, when Jamie's ready to play, we're going to... So I got called up and it, I got the call and I wasn't sure if I was going to play. It was like January 5th, and 1994 or whatever. I get called up and and I think Bob Froze is my goalie coach. And Froze says, there's a chance you're playing tomorrow, so just be ready. And I practiced with the group and Al skates up and goes, you're going to start tomorrow. 
And it was against the Calgary Flames, January 6th. And I remember, I, I swear to God, I was staying at the Long Island Marriott there, right at the edge of the parking lot. Every, as every player, yeah, everyone that's right. Player. right across the lot from the Nassau Coliseum. You got to yeah. go past the Seekers to get in. Yeah, exactly. I didn't sleep one second the night before my game. I just thought my mind could not close, like it couldn't stop thinking. I was just like, this is, you know, this is my career. This is it. You know, I'm nervous. You know, this isn't. This is the time, you know, I think it was in 1994 or whatever. There's no texting. There's no, like, I went to the pay phone, called my parents. I'm playing. And and in your head, you're also thinking, this is my one chance. Yeah. When really, it. it probably isn't in, if you look at the big picture. Right. But it feels like it. Well, at th- that point, I exactly, it, I felt like it was my one chance because Hexie had played so much. They weren't playing Draper. Like, okay, this is, we're going to see if this guy can play. If he can play... Maybe I make the NHL. If I can't, who knows? Maybe, you know, somebody else. So my mind did not turn off the whole night. I went through morning skate. I was exhausted. I went back to the hotel. And for some reason, my pregame, I slept for three and a half hours, like solid, from like 1 to 4.30. So I don't know what happened. I think my body just was gave out. It had enough. Got up, went over to the rink. And I started that night, and uh, the only thing that stands out for me is I made was how bright everything was, the, the TV lights. And then I made a save early on. I kept thinking, man, this is fast. Like, everything was so fast. And I kept thinking to myself, like, can I keep up to this speed? And I made a save, and then I think Joe Newendike scored on me about five minutes into the game. And I was like, oh, I think it's too fast. I, I kept thinking to myself, I think it's too fast. I don't know if I can catch up to this. And I made a couple saves more, and we ended up second period. I stopped Fleur, Thurman Flurry on a breakaway, and I think Ronnie Stern maybe scored an, uh, uh, a rebound goal. But we ended up winning like 6-2. I got a bunch of goal support because the Flames had played the night before. Trefiloff was exhausted. Um, and I won. I won my first game. It was a Friday night. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I've actually won an NHL game. I didn't know we had in common that my first game was also in Nassau Coliseum. Really? Yeah, I got tossed in midway through. Rick Tockett was the head coach for Tampa that year. And he had to call me in from out of the crowd. Oh, re- oh yeah, because you were in I'm that. I'm sitting yeah. backing up in the corner next yeah. to Goldilocks down there. And yeah. Ramo allows three in like three minutes. And I see Target waving over everybody. <laughs> I'm like, well, I guess this is it. I'd never even played a preseason game. You know, you go back to that Roanoke comment I made, you know, like there, there's these surreal moments. Little snippets, right? Like, yeah, snippet. Like you can, after a while, I got at least comfortable enough where I wasn't, okay, you know, that's this guy, that's Messier, that's this, you know, at the end of the night, you're like, ah, Bure got me or, you know, or Lemieux or whatever. But I got to a point where I felt comfortable at the NHL level where I wasn't starstruck anymore. You were just kind of like, hey, I'm there. You felt like you belonged. I've wondered that too, because truth be told, I never really got to that point where I felt comfortable in the NHL because I never spent a full year there. I never had any juice behind me with an organization. I was always the fill-in guy. Right, right. When did you get to that point in your career? You went a couple years with the aisle up and down. It it wasn't until I got to St. Louis. And and then you had your illness, bacterial meningitis. Yeah, it was St. Louis. It was when I made the team... When I was talking about Rich Perron and Larry Plough said, you've made this team, you deserve this spot. And I felt 
I, I was at a, and I had a good season. And when they tell you to get a place, you know, it's like, hey, and I never got go that. get an apartment. Right? I was always in hockey purgatory. Right? Yeah, you're you're in the hotel. Am you're I on this down. team or not? Yeah, like which is hard. Like it's 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 hard mentally, and and I don't even think people realize this, but I've lived it. So um, it's hard on your family too. Like you know, I I mean. I ha- I was in relationships back then, but I didn't have kids. I didn't have living in the hotel, you know, wondering what's next for me. You could show up at the rink and be like, "You're going down." Like that's and that happened to me in New York a few times where I thought I had a little bit of momentum. And one time I met with like a financial guy, and he used to play for the Islanders, and we had this whole spiel after practice. And then he's like, "Well, by the way, yeah, you're going down today." Like, well, how do you know? He's like, oh yeah, they, they planned this a while ago. You're, you know, you're going to go down and play some games. And I'm like, I was so heartbroken because I was like, I, I felt like, okay, I'm turning a corner, but it just like New York was always walking on eggs, even though like I was 22 and I made the team I was playing with Hexy. And then the next year I had a, they told me to get a place in that, but then the lockout happened and like, it was just, I always felt with the Islanders, there was tremendous stability when Al Arbor was there and Bill Torrey. And then when Mike took over... St. Lawrence graduate, Bill Torrey. Yeah, like I love well. Bill Torrey. Yeah, I, I, loved got to, I got to know him in Florida again. Yeah, and, and you know, for me even to call him Bill, because I would never call it, do it's it to Mr. his face. Torrey. It's Mr. Torrey. Absolutely. And, and that, you know, but I just, like for people listening, it was Bill Torrey that, you know, everyone would know the name. But yeah, everyone called him Mr. Torrey because he was, you know, just a... The architect. Yeah, just a yeah. father figure. And so that was stability. You could tell that there was a plan in place. With Millberry, it was quite erratic. And, you know, Mike was an emotional guy and our teams weren't that good. And, you know, there was... And, and and for me, I was still trying to find my leg. And those weird jerseys came in. Yeah, the fishermen. The I, I was, fishermen. I, I thought I had great pads, though. I, had, I have a picture of, like... My fisherman jersey, and I kind of got these teal pads to match, and I still think it's a, a sharp. Like I mean, people would disagree, but I liked my look for some reason. A Vaughn, right? You were always. Yes, Vaughn, I was a Vaughn you? guy. I was a Vaughn guy. I loved Vaughn. Uh, Billy Ranford got me into Vaughn. I was a, as I became friends with Billy, but I idolized Bill, Billy because Billy did everything that I wanted to do. He was a starter. He won a cop. He won a con smite. Was Edmonton your team as a kid? No. I, I it's it's weird. People ask me this, and I swear I would I, I swear on anything. My kids, I don't. I never had a favorite team. I always had favorite players. So I grew up in Edmonton, and I used to run film for the Edmonton Sun when I was fourteen years old. So. I would be credentialed to go like the the photographers would run on the ice when the cup was going around. I'd be standing there in the Zamboni doors as they're, you know, Messier and Gretzky at the cup. There, I'm eight feet away from it. And I'm like, this is cool. I'll, I'll go to the parade with my friends and that. And for me, me, I was, I missed a parade one year. I'm like, no, don't worry. I'll go next year. Cause that's what I grew up with all those cups. I, that's what I thought. Well, it kind of desensitizes you in a way, yeah. I guess too. It's like when people ask me that, when St. Louis won the Stanley Cup this year, they thought, oh, you must be thrilled. And, yeah. Well, no, I've been in the game for 20 years, 14 as a pro. I've played for 15 different organizations. I have yeah. friends everywhere. I don't have that childhood draw anymore. Yeah. I was happy for my town. I'm yeah. happy for my friends. But 
I didn't, it, I, didn't, it didn't strike me the same way as them. I know? was the same way. I had, like, I loved Mike Liud. I loved Eddie Meal. I, like, I had, I had, I loved Grant Fear, and I got to meet him and then play with him. And, like, it was just, there were so many things where I just loved goalies. But I, I never, I never had a team that I, it's weird now being in the media and living in Toronto because either, like, people think, oh, I, you hate the Leafs because you're from Edmonton. I don't care. Like, I, I, I like talking hockey. So I work with guys on my radio show, Overdrive, where both of those guys, Jeff O'Neill played for the Leafs. He loves the Leafs. And our host, Brian Hayes, he bleeds blue. When the, when the Leafs struggle, I don't lose sleep over it. I just don't. Like, but I don't, I don't, I, I, I do 40 Ottawa Senator games. I love Pierre Dorian. I, you know, the PR staff just treated me very well there. The guys on the team are fantastic. If they lose, we're in Vegas. If they lose 10 nothing tomorrow, I feel bad for them losing 10 nothing. I wouldn't lose an ounce of sleep. Like my job now in the media, like I go to sleep at night. I tell all my buddies who are general managers and scouts and all that in the organization, I sleep well at night. I live with my opinion. So sometimes I'll chew my tongue off on a broadcast or feel, feel like I, I, you know, didn't have a strong enough opinion or was maybe wrong on an analysis. Uh, you know, I didn't think something was in a suspension and it was like, there's times where I'm disappointed in things that I've done on a broadcast, but I don't care. Like, I don't care about winning and losing. Like I, unfortunately, I, I I'm more like you. I've been in a, around a lot. So I you become desensitized to it. That was part one with Jamie McLennan. Next week, part two. Thanks for listening to Six Degrees with Mike McKenna. Please make sure that you like, comment, leave a rating, subscribe, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere that you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube